Welcome back to The Last Choice on the Left, a horror podcast from Last Choice Network. I'm Chris. And I'm Natalie. And tonight we are returning to the world of Scream and shifting from Windsor College to Hollywood, California. Well, Natalie, it's been a while. Um, <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to uh, remember everything I, I wanted to talk about with this movie. Um, the first thing I will say is it's been a long time since I'd watched Scream 3, and I enjoyed it way more than I used to when it was the end of the trilogy um, or even part three of a four-part series. Um, the first thing I do have a minor complaint about is the opening scene. Um, I thought it, the opening scene itself was great, but I hated the fact that Cotton went from the hero at the end of Scream 2 to pretty much just kill it off right in the beginning of Scream 3. Right away, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that was a case of, you know, Lee F. Schreiber is just way too expensive now and we can't afford to have him. <laughs> and we yeah. don't get him for a day of shooting. But I, it, that just really disappointed me that he got the redemption he was looking for because he was not guilty of Marines. Remember. Um, got the success he wanted, and then it's just killed right off at the beginning of the film. Yeah, I guess for them, he wasn't established enough, you know? Like, you would think he would be, since he has been someone who is here since the first movie. Mm-hmm. But he definitely was just used to, like, um, like introduce the the new setting of, like, this, like, Hollywood um you know life life that's happening in the third movie yeah and i don't like to i mean again with the first movie you had an iconic actress drew barrymore be the first kill in the second movie you know (laughs) jada pinkett smith gets a lot of shit today but back when stream two was filmed she was very much in demand at that time so it was still kind of shocking that they would get someone like jada pinkett and then kill her off again with killing off cotton and again i also know that you know the budget for scream 3 and what was going on in the world when they filmed scream 3 i just feel like it was a missed opportunity to continue that tradition of having someone um, you don't expect to be in a horror movie and to kill them off right away Uh, but I, I agree, it did a great job in establishing our new arena that we're playing in. It's moved us from Northern California down to Southern California. Um, and I think it did a great job of really establishing how Hollywood really impacted everything that's happened to Sydney at this point, and she doesn't even know it, that she has mm-hmm. that connection to it. Yeah. So what did you um, think watching it? Had you seen it before? Was this no, your no. first time? Yeah, this whole thing has been like my first time through the Scream fran- franchise. Um, I have, uh, you want to talk about like minor complaints. I have one that's <laughs> even more like minor. Um <laughs> Um, Courtney Cox's horrible bangs. I wrote that in my notes. Who, who greenlit 
those bangs? Who did that to her? Who gave her that forehead with those bangs? <laughs> I was yeah. so upset. It was so distracting. <laughs> the entire, okay, that's like, I had to get that out of the way. That that was distracting to me. I know, uh, she definitely must have pissed off her hair and makeup <laughs> coordinator in some previous life because <laughs> that was definitely a crime against humanity. It like, was. do that to that poor woman. <laughs> um, okay, but other than that, getting that out of the way, um, I think it's interesting that, um, you know, obviously we, we now have the established stab movies within the mm-hmm. Scream movie, so now we're going to, like, look at the uh, the creation of the, the stab movies um, and how it kind of goes in again a little bit with like um, we, we mentioned a little bit with Scream 2 like just how media does have such an influence on um, how things are perceived and even like I don't want to say like making people do things or think a certain way but you know it, it can be very uh, influential I guess the best way to say that so i think it was um interesting it's also interesting in just in terms of like obviously the scream franchise is such like an ode to like you know the old horror movies right the old slashers so like fully taking it like into hollywood i thought was actually pretty interesting um and like with the whole just moving around the sets and them um talking about the um you know we got the the rule of trilogies so like how mm-hmm. is this all gonna like develop i guess <laughs> yeah i like that they they brought they were able to bring randy back um mm-hmm. into the movie because that was one of my big gut punches in scream too oh, yeah. uh, and i love how he set it up is is this just another sequel or is it a trilogy because depending on which way you go you have different rules in play and um so what, what's interesting is with Scream 2, when he was giving us the rules, we never got the third rule in Scream 2, do we interrupt him? But in this one, he, um, he told us what the rules would be, that the killer would have superhuman strength, um, the main character can die, um, mm-hmm. which obviously, spoiler alert, she doesn't, mm-hmm. um, and the past always comes back to haunt you. And... You know, I'm thinking about that, and I always relay it back to my other favorite franchise, um, which is a little bit toxic right now. But I, I look back to it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, the original Star Wars trilogy, the Godfather trilogy, you know, any Alien 3, you know, the Alien movies up when Alien 3 was the end of it. And it's all pretty much true. You're fighting against uh, a foe that has superhuman strength. The main character usually can and does die. Mm-hmm. And the past is always brought back up at some point. So I think they did a great job of really tying that into this movie, which was supposed to be the end of the franchise. But again, also talking about going back to Hollywood, anything that makes a buck, they're going to keep writing yeah. it out. Yeah. But yeah, it was nice to have Randy back. And I love the fact, too, that they even talked about when he lost his virginity and he knew Dewey was going to question him and was able to answer back to Dewey being dead (laughs) on video. 
the I'm just trying to think. So going back into it, so we have Cotton is the first one that's killed off. Uh, I think our next victim. Well, the next victim I remember is Jenny McCarthy's character, and the actors are so blah. I, I can't even remember her character's name. Um, that's that's fair. The only one that I really remember is the the actress that was playing Sid. I didn't write down her name, but I thought she was very suspicious. Just saying, but I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get to her. Um, you know, but I was you know. This group of characters, it's it's funny because in Scream, I felt like we really cared about Billy and Stu and Tatum and Randy and Sydney. In Scream 2, I felt like we had a connection with um, Sydney and Derek and Mickey. And like I felt like we we got drawn into those characters and by the end of the movie. We're either rooting for them or, you know, sad to see them go. And I, with this cast of characters, with the exception of Parker Posey, who is just amazing, mm-hmm. I was like, kind of glad they were gone. <laughs> like, it's just, it's expected. I mean, you know, yeah. and it's not expected in like a boohoo kind of way. It's just like yeah. expected in, a, in the expected way, you know, so... Yeah, I just feel like, you know, they just, the only characters I think you really care about at the end of this movie are the big three. You got Sydney, Dale, Sydney Gale, and Dewey. Yeah. And again, I loved, I love Parker Posey. I mean, she's just, the way her Gale was almost better than Gale. Mm-hmm. Um, but she really was the only new character into the franchise that yeah. did it for me in the movie. And talking about um, Angelina, the character that plays Sydney, um, it's always been said that she was supposed to be the second killer in the movie. Um, well, it's funny because Scream Three was supposed to be nothing like what we actually got. It was supposed uh-huh. to be the return of it was supposed to be the return of Stu and he had survived the events of Scream, and he was in prison but he had like a small group of almost like cultists following him as tends to happen with with famous killers um coming after sydney but then right before they're going to start making the movie columbine and so the studio had say maybe it's not a good idea to have high school killers running around and killing people. So that's when they threw out the idea for Scream 3, and we got the scream that it is today. But part of that was um, there were two killers. Angelina was supposed to be the second killer, but I still, in my head can, and she is still the second killer. I I refuse to. Pretty convincing, honestly. Yes. It, it is. <laughs> I, I refuse to believe that Roman carried all that off on his own. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a couple things for that. One of it, one of them is, is just 
like when you go into the scenes where Sydney steps on set and it's the recreation of Woodsboro, when she's being tormented in the hot set of her house, I don't think there's time for one ghost face to, you know, get her and she throws him off because it's a door that drops down to the floor below it and throws him off that. But then 30 seconds later, she's getting pulled by ghost face out of a window. So I like, I just don't think it's physically possible, but I also don't like the fact that Roman is barely in the movie. Yes. And I just feel like it kind of cheapens it. That I mean, obviously you could say, well, nobody knows where he is. So it makes a perfect opportunity for him to be the killer. But it, I feel like he's almost set up as a red herring to make you think he's like, he shouldn't be the killer because it's too obvious. So, yeah. And I think that, uh, and there's still some debate in the community too, whether or not he actually kills Angelina. Cause all you do, you don't see, you see a little bit of blood, I think in her face, but you just see like her upper torso being dragged away. You don't see where she's been injured. Um, you never see a body, her body by the end of the movie. So there is even still some debate as to whether or not she's actually dead. Um, but I do believe that they were partners. And if she is dead, he killed her to tie up that loose end. I think that the, like, the twist that it's his brother. (laughs) Okay. So with this, with this whole thing, right? So we're going back to like it it's all it's all Sid Sid's mother's fault. It's all her fault mm-hmm. for for getting around in Hollywood. And that was like obviously that's like touched on in the first movie because it's mm-hmm. the whole like, oh, your your mom is sleeping with my dad and that pisses me off kind of thing. But um now it's like, okay, so she got around in Hollywood, had a kid. And now this kid is going to. Basically, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to piece together the message. I know maybe that's asking too much, but like, is the, like, it kind of, you could play with it a little bit. Like, is the, are they trying to say that the villain is a promiscuous woman or, or are they trying to say, because I see this a little bit hinted towards in like some sections, is the villain Hollywood like preying on women? Because obviously a lot of like women in the industry, like, you know, they feel like they, they need to do certain things, you know, to to get somewhere. And obviously Sid's mother did feel that way. I mean, going as far as, you know, you have the stage name and all of that, you know, basically like having an entire different identity in Hollywood. Um, so I think that depending on, I guess, like your reading of it, you can see it kind of as both i'd like to think that they're that it's a critique of like how hollywood treats women especially like amateurs right like mm-hmm. we're gonna think that there's like like amateur actors like that's who these people were um but yeah i think it was also kind of like random you know but <laughs> Well, I, I have two thoughts on that. Um, the thing we have to remember about Sydney's mom is she 
was true. Well, she was truly a victim of Hollywood because she mm-hmm. went to Milton's party, but she was raped at this party. Like she right. was not a willing participant. Right. And clearly that experience damaged something in her where she then does sleep around when she returns to her normal life. But I do think it's more of a critique. I think they were going more for a critique on Hollywood itself because when Angelina takes off from the rest of the group, she says something along the line, along the lines of like, "I didn't sleep with that pig Milton." Yeah, to die right. with a that's right. You to know, die I die with you losers. That. I meant to write that down. Yes, exactly. So like, it's just like it's also just showing that nothing changed. Obviously, you know, yes. like obviously, like Sydney's mother. I mean, however many years ago that was, it's it's all the same, and it's all the same people. You know, like yes. it's still Milton. So yeah. So and I do know they have come out and said that Milton was kind of based on Harvey Weinstein and it was a way for Wes Craven to kind of try to pull back the curtain a little bit mm-hmm. on what the producer of his movie does. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think in terms of what Wes Craven was doing, it was definitely a critique on how Hollywood takes these women and chews them up, spits them out, and just moves on. I also think that, and going back into the family connection, I do think the unintended consequence of that is, is Maureen is still... playing a part in the the role of her. She's still being blamed for her role in not only her own death, but now everything that's happened in Stephen's life. And clearly, and times have changed since the Mm mid-90s. I would hope today, and I know I'm being naive, we wouldn't judge a woman who is a sexual being like no she's not a slut she's living out living her best life and good for her like should she be married doing this that's a discussion you can have but she's not a bad person for Mm -hmm. if she sleeps with one person or a hundred person a hundred people who cares um going back go ahead i'm sorry go ahead I was going to just say like a little comment about like how um, like me kind of like having that mindset too, it makes it a little bit difficult to get behind and maybe this is being harsh, but get behind like Sid's like trauma because her trauma is just that her mom got around mm-hmm. and like that. I mean, everybody is, but yeah, everybody is still like blaming her or like wanting, like they want to still blame somebody. Right. And it just happens to be her. And I think that it, that does really suck. But I like a little bit was like, are you serious? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, it's it's not you. Like, it shouldn't be your problem anymore. But obviously it still was, you know. Well, and, and that's what I like when she does confront Roman and he tells her 
his sob story. And yes, I do agree. It sucks that he's a child of rape. Mm -hmm. I understand his mother putting out for adoption because raising him is a daily reminder of what happened to her. And I understand that her, where her position was when he tried to reenter her life and she wanted, she had closed that chapter on her life. And so I do like the fact that when Sydney confronts him, again, she calls him out for blaming Maureen for him setting up Maureen's death and then everything that happens in Scream 3. And it's, you know, she finally tells him that he needs to take some fucking responsibility for himself. Like, so I think, I think at the end of this movie, she's finally getting to a point where she's not going to be chained down by her mother's actions anymore. And she is going to take responsibility for herself. And she's trying to tell him that Mm -hmm. what does going back to when you said, you know, it was out of left field for them to be like, it's your brother. Um, You know, it pulls me into two directions. Obviously the first one again is going back to Halloween because Scream is so influenced by Halloween. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Halloween was supposed to be a one-off movie and the studios were like, this made a shit ton of money. Let's make another one. And John Carpenter was like, well, I've directed my movie. I'm not directing it, but I'll write it. And he's writing it. He talks about he would sit down every night with a six-pack of beer. Because he's like, I already told my story. I didn't know where I wanted to go. And he's like, I'll make him her brother. And like, that's how the whole Laurie Michael being sibling thing started, was John Carpenter getting drunk trying to write this movie. So... <laughs> It's, I think, definitely a direct connection to that, saying, like, oh, it's your brother. But I also go back again to things like Star Wars, and then all of a sudden, like, you mm-hmm. find out that, you know, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father and Empire Strikes Back. Again, spoiler alerts, people, these movies have been out for <laughs> 50 fucking years. Um, but in Return of the Jedi, you learn that Leia is his sister. So it's like, they always had to find, like, one way to be like, what twist can we throw in there that nobody's yeah. expecting? And again, him being her brother, it felt cheap to me because this, like, the only time Roman and Sydney ever interact is the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is no interaction between them until the final scene. If they had had any type of interaction before then, um, that we, and again, maybe they do off camera. I don't know. We never see it. If they had any interaction before then, that might have been able to be pulled off. But he's like, I'm your brother. And she's even like, the fuck? Like, where did this come from? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I I definitely, you know, the brother connection. And again, going back to mommy issues. Roman is just a grown up Billy. Like, Billy had mommy issues because. Yeah. His mom left him, and now we're back to Roman having mother issues. So, again, I feel like a little bit of lazy writing was going on in here. Um, And, again, this isn't the way the movie was originally going to go, so who knows how Maureen would have been addressed in the original version. But I just felt, you know... Can we please get off? Like, can we literally please stop or get off the dead mother issue? Like, 
it's done. Yeah, Can it, we move it, on, it please? like a lot in that <laughs> movie. <laughs> now, one thing I do did love in the movie was Carrie Fisher's cameo. Yes, I was. It took me. I like saw it and I was like, "Is that Carrie? Is it like actually her?" You know what I mean? Like I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Okay, it is. It is. <laughs> you know, I love. I love Carrie Fisher. Um, mm-hmm. That's still like the one celebrity death that crushes me every December. Like I start sobbing hysterically. Um, but I loved her in that movie because it was so her. Oh yeah. And I yeah, love, and again, and going back to Hollywood preying on young actresses, I like how when they're like, aren't you? And she's like, no, I was up for the role of Princess Slayer, but they gave it to the girl that slept with George Lucas. Yep. Um, so again, it's pulling into that predatory Hollywood. But what I think is funny is when they actually made Star Wars, she did have an affair with Harrison Ford. So she's not quite that innocent. Mm-hmm. Again, no judgment. Y'all are consenting adults to whatever you want to do. Yep. <laughs> Love you all. <laughs> so we get to, I guess, the big chase scene. Everybody's dead. Oh, going back to why Angelina could be the killer as well. Um, I do like, I like how they killed off um, the jet plane Dewey. Blowing up an entire house does seem like a little bit of overkill. I think it was a great idea, but I'm still trying to figure out. The killer has cut the power. How is the fax machine still getting faxes? (laughs) Oh, man, all those little things. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, who knew that fax machines... And anyone who doesn't know what a fax machine is, Google is your friend. Um, they're still running on electricity. But again, a reason why I think Angelina could be the killer is who has the best opportunity to turn on the gas in the house and cut the power. Mm-hmm. And you even see when the house, um, or when they run out of the house, before it explodes, she starts going off on her own direction away from the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. And then she turns up after Ghostface uh, attacks Gale. She turns up way further down from than where the rest of the group was. So why did she separate herself? Is it because she knew what was going to happen? Yeah, I mean, like I said, everything she did was suspicious to me. Mm-hmm. And it's all in the things like that, like when she chose to, when she chose to separate and be there and like, it was just so. She conveniently has a ghost face yeah. mask yeah, hiding, exactly. in, hiding in the bathroom and Sydney finds it's a, her. No, it's a, it's a set memorabilia though. Like it's. Yes, fine. she was only, she was only because it, they shut down the movie and she wanted to have. One happy memory of sleeping with Milton to get a job on a movie she doesn't even get to finish. So another um, little callback to the first movie that I found interesting. Um, 
was when Sydney and Roman are fighting each other in Milton's house and she stabs him with an ice pick. And I think again, if I remember correctly, she actually did stab um, Scott Foley in the shoulder. Like she missed the vest. So his reaction is a real reaction, just like in the original screen when she stabs Billy with the umbrella, she missed the vest and actually got his shoulder. So if you're ever doing a movie with F. Campbell, do not let her stab you with anything. <laughs> um, but I like that she uses this ice pick because, again, for me, it goes back full circle to when she's uh, confronted by Stu and Billy, they, make, they specifically make a comment about her mom flashing her shit all over town like she's Sharon Stone. And Stu says, like, and let's face it, Sid, your mom is no Sharon Stone, talking about her role in basic instincts. So again, I, I like that they were able to reconnect to that without saying, like, hey, look over it's here. We're doing, fan, yeah. we're doing fan service. Pay attention to me. <laughs> it's a nice little subtle touch to bring that back into the, to the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely didn't connect that. Like, that's really cool that they were able to bring it full circle like that. Yeah, it's just these tiny little things that, mm -hmm. and it, was that intentional? That maybe, maybe not, but at least for me, it called mm -hmm. back to the original. <laughs> and then uh, this was the first time where neither, um, really where, Sydney was not uh, directly involved with the killing of Ghostface. So we know that she killed Billy, obviously. We think she's killed Stu. As far as we know, he's dead. Um, her and Gail both shoot Mickey at the end of Scream 2. Um, she doesn't kill Mrs. Loomis, but she does put a bullet in her head just to make sure. <laughs> but Dewey finally gets the opportunity to kill Ghostface at the end of this movie. And because it's Dewey, they have to tell him to shoot him in the head. Because mm -hmm. clearly Dewey didn't get that memo from the first two movies that you have to shoot the killer. He probably didn't get it because he's used to being stabbed and close to death and they have to bring him out in a gurney. Yeah. So maybe that's why he didn't know. <laughs> but I was happy to see that Dewey finally got to get into the act of killing off Ghostface. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, he finally, um, I guess, like, uh, fulfilled the role he always wanted to, right? The protector. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's finally, you know, still not a cop to, to get the big bad at the end of the movie. Yeah. So, and then one person we haven't talked about at all, but what did you think about Patrick Dempsey's Mark Kincaid in the film? Okay, I am trying so hard because I do actually, I remember that Patrick Dempsey was in this movie and I, <laughs> okay, look, the thing, you know, it's been a while. It's yes. been a while. <laughs> And I do remember that he's in the movie. I, what was his character again? <laughs> so he is the lead detective investigating the new round of murders. Right. Um, and he's the one who brings in 
Gail for her expertise because they're finding pictures of a young Marine Prescott on the victim on the bodies of the victims. Right. So because she's written now the two the best-selling murder. accounts mm-hmm. of the Woodsboro murders and the Windsor College murders, he brings her in. Dewey's already in town because he's the expert for stamp three the movie, and, yeah. and providing additional security, not providing security for Parker Posey, but um, because she has her own main security, but is there kind of to help protect her as well? Cause he just can't ever quit Gail. Um, so Mark Kincaid brings in Gail. He's also trying to reach Sydney because Sydney is finally said, I'm going to go become a hermit and yeah. no one's going to have my phone. I think the only person who has her phone number is Dewey. Um, mm-hmm. So he's also trying to get them to, to reach out to Sydney. They finally meet. Um, and then at the end of the movie, when they're back at Sydney's house, you have uh, Dewey and Gail who finally get engaged. Uh, but Mark Kincaid is there, the cop is there, um, and you think to start a new romance for Sydney, which usually doesn't end well for her either. She's either dating a psychotic serial killer, mm-hmm. or a psychotic serial killer murder, murders her boyfriend. So I don't know if you want to be in a relationship with her, but <laughs> yeah. the movie certainly ends in that direction that that's where they're leading to. Oh, that's where it should go. I I think my my thing with like uh with that character was just that it op- obviously wasn't very memorable. And um so maybe Sorry, I Patrick. Just, sorry, I mean I like I said I remember that you were in there, but what were you doing? Um and I okay, I wanna say that I remember some like like moments where it felt like they were trying to do a romance. But, I don't know, it just didn't seem like a good idea. Yeah, I think <laughs> he he does get kind of flirty with her at a couple points. And I do remember sitting there thinking, like, is this really appropriate for right now? Like, yeah, and yeah. Can we wait until after the killer or killers are dealt with? Mm-hmm. Um, I also think they tried to use him again as one of the red herrings. Um, in the movie because he his character he does say that you know he grew up in Hollywood he's a his desk area has you know Hollywood posters on it and stuff so mm-hmm. I think they're trying to set him up as a as a red herring as well um, but yeah, I just think it's I just thought it was interesting that they decided to be like oh we're going to end this with you know. Sydney's, you know, Gail and Dewey are at her house, and she now has this love interest cop who is totally useless and did nothing to save her life because Ghostface knocks him out in the middle of the movie or the middle of the end fight, and then he shows up after everything is done. So he is kind of useless as a protector, but they're going to have a relationship anyway. Again, no judgment, whatever floats your boat. Um, but I do like the fact that, again, because this was going to be the ending of the franchise. But the movie ends with her doing that great 
horror movie trope just opens by itself and swings open and, and she leaves it. She doesn't yeah. feel the need to go close it to and lock it. it. Yeah. She's able to leave the door open for Have me. peace, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until 10 years later when Scream 4 comes out. Yes. Uh, <laughs> which we will get to. Um, do you have any last thoughts or comments on Scream 3? Um, I don't think so. I think that... Um... Hold on, wait. I think that as a trilogy, it was good. Like, I think that these, that the the first three movies do fit each other all very well. Mm-hmm. And that they, um, that just those three movies, I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit with, with four and the the fifth one, that they, they're um, different enough, mm-hmm. I guess, in, in plot and characters and things like that, that I think that they work well as a trilogy. Yes. <laughs> and like, like I said, before rewatching the entire franchise, and especially when there were only three movies, Scream 3 for me, out of the original three, was always the weakest of them. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because, again, last minute change on what the concept for the movie was going to be. It was the only one not written by Kevin Williamson. They had to bring in a new writer because he was busy, I think, with Dawson's Freak. Um, and there was a lot more humor in it than you had. There were funny moments in Scream and Scream 2, but this yeah. one was much more uh, intentionally funny. Yeah. Um, or trying to be intentionally funny, depending on how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. But I have to say with the rewatch, I appreciate it a lot more than I used to. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I think that had the Scream franchise not been continued, it was, I think each story told a very good standalone story, but worked well with each other to tell us the life of this poor woman who through no fault of her own is being targeted again because of perceived moral lapses and judgments of her mother. She's being held responsible for the actions of her mother. Um, And I think it ended in a way where she was able to finally let go of the chains of her past and move forward and find a way to reconcile the mother she grew up with, with the mother with who she knows who her mother knows. So I think they could have ended it there and everything would have been great. But again, they didn't. So we'll be back next week to talk about Scream 4. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So again, uh, this has been The Last Choice on the left, a horror podcast from The Last Choice Network. I have been your host, Chris. And if you... Hey, Natalie. And if you want to reach me on any socials, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at cmharger78. Yes, and um, don't look for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can find me on Twitter at um, in underscore uh, Talia with a Y. Yeah. <laughs> and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.